Hello everyone and welcome to episode 12 of Hints for Healing, a podcast where we discuss multidisciplinary work that contributes to the healing of children and young people with refugee experience. I want to acknowledge that I'm reporting on the land of the Garingai people and I pay my respects to the traditional custodians of this land, to their ancestors, their elders, past, present and emerging, and I also acknowledge the injustice that they've experienced and continue to experience, and I recognise their resilience in the face of this. I'd like to extend a special welcome to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people tuning in today. I'm Nicole Lur, a School Liaison Officer on the School Liaison Team at STARTS, which is the New South Wales-based service for the treatment and rehabilitation of torture and trauma survivors. In this episode, you'll hear me in conversation with STARTS Child and Adolescent Neurofeedback Counselor, Jacqueline Toe. At STARTS, Jacqueline practices neurofeedback counselling with children, young people and their families, both in STARTS clinics and, when COVID restrictions allow, in schools as well. She holds a Bachelor of Applied Science in Speech Pathology, as well as a Master of Counselling and Applied Psychotherapy. Prior to being at Starts, she worked in private practice and across rural and regional New South Wales in a range of settings. Jacqueline has also volunteered in casework with people seeking asylum and has worked as an au pair and nanny in France. In our conversation, Jacqueline explains what neurofeedback counselling is, for which trauma symptoms it's particularly effective, and how it affects change in the brain and ultimately in the mental well-being of her clients. Good morning, Jackie, and welcome to the Hints for Healing podcast. Thanks for having me, Nicole. So you've been a neurofeedback counsellor at Starts for almost two years, um, and you'd know as well as I that there's a lot of interest from educators and school counsellors in what benefits neurofeedback can offer their students. So um, a lot of what I wanted to ask you today comes from questions that I've been asked by teachers about neurofeedback over the years. So I'd like to start by asking you, what is neurofeedback? Um, so neurofeedback is basically a way of training the brain. Um, it's giving the brain feedback so that it has the opportunity to change. Um, so just like medication works on the chemicals in the brain, neurofeedback works on the electrical signals or the brain waves. Um, it sounds kind of crazy and a bit scary, but um, neurofeedback is it's not very invasive um, and it's not painful. Okay, so it's not invasive. So um, in, what's, in what ways does the equipment make contact with, with the client? Yeah, so basically, um, I guess we'll talk a little bit more about the practicalities um, later, but there's a laptop, there's a computer screen, um, and then there's sensors. So um, they are sensors. There's no current that's going into the brain. There's nothing that's coming out of the brain. It's literally just sensing. So there's um, one or two on the head and one or two on the ears, um, and they are just sensing what um, is happening at that particular spot um, of the brain in terms of the way the brain waves. I see. So absolutely no risk of any shocks with this treatment. No, no. no. So um, from the, the, set, the information that comes in through the sensors, we can see what the person's brainwaves are doing at that particular spot in the brain. They then get feedback um, 
visual feedback um, on the screen as well as auditory feedback in the beep. Mm -hmm. And it's basically conditioning. So their brain learns that, oh, when I'm producing this kind of brainwave, um, you know, I advance in the game um, mm -hmm. or I hear a beep and the brain puts all that information together. Hmm. So with your clients at start, so what's it most often used for? What sort of symptoms is it, um, is it effective in treating? Hmm. Um, so we know that trauma affects us you know, at a biological level, at a psychological and a social level. Um, neurofeedback is one of the interventions that's used um, to target the biological like impacts of trauma and the symptoms. Um, some of the ones that we see most commonly would be sleep um, difficulties, so difficulty falling asleep, um, difficulty maintaining sleep, so staying asleep, um, and nightmares. Um, we also see difficulty with attention, like concentration, learning, um, memory. What else? Um, also with um, being able to regulate emotions. So some teachers will say that they have students who have these outbursts of anger and they seem to go from zero to 100. Um, another thing would be lots of kind of fear and anxiety um, that might be hard, hard for them to get distance from. Okay, so have I understood correctly that um, if there's ideal brain waves for, you know, falling asleep, um, for being able to concentrate better, uh, when the brain's able to achieve those brain waves during a neurofeedback session, then the child can advance in the game. Is that? Basically, yes. <laughs> I don't know if I'm explaining this very well. Yeah, no, that yeah. makes sense. So what happens is um, the person sits in front of the screen. Um, they get to choose either a game or a film. I'm sitting at the laptop and I program in what kind of brainwaves I want them to be able to produce, um, depending on the region of the brain. So we know that different parts of the brain are responsible for different functions. Um, we will have done um, an EEG, a brain scan on them before we start in your feedback. Um, and we also do it after 20 sessions um, to measure change. Yeah, so like you were saying, um, when the when the person is producing the kind of brainwaves that we want to encourage more of um, they will advance in the game and they will hear a beep mm -hmm. um, if they've chosen the film then the image will become more sharp and they'll hear a beep um, compared to when the image like white washes and it's harder to see mm -hmm. um, so in that way it's that's the feedback to the brain um, and the person doesn't have to consciously like try hard to do anything mm -hmm. um, Kind of like you know our brain is taking in a lot of information all the time that we're not even conscious of and it, it's filtering um and it's passing on to us you know only the stuff that it deems kind of relevant and there's only a certain amount that we're actually conscious of mm -hmm. um, so yeah so the brain puts that together so how does it work if um, a client is getting some successful experiences while watching the film or playing the game where they they're producing the right brain waves? How does um, how does that persist beyond the end of the session? Yeah, so our sessions are twice weekly mm. um, to to have enough practice, mm -hmm. um, and we do we always so we do 20 sessions and then we we do all the tests again and we decide in consultation with you know with the child with the family with the school whether to do an extra 10 or 20 sessions beyond that um and that's 
kind of links to what you're saying because it's about consolidating. If we just did mm -hmm. five sessions, um, you know, any changes like wouldn't be maintained. Um, I guess the difference with, yeah, that any changes mm. wouldn't be maintained. But yeah. if not, um, then, then those changes should hold. Okay. And are the clients simultaneously learning strategies to that help them produce those brainwaves from you? Um, sometimes, like sometimes we might, you know, teach other things like slow breathing. We have um, some heart rate variability. Yeah. And increased awareness. So in a, in a session, which might be, you know, 50 minutes an hour, neurofeedback actually only takes up 15, 20 minutes of that, the actual neurofeedback training, um, and then a bit of time to put on the senses and move the senses. But the rest of the time, um, like you said, is um, spent on, you know, talk therapy or developing strategies together, um, drawing, whatever um, the child is interested in, being more aware of um, of their body and sensations how do they know when they're angry um, mm. so it all fits in together yeah so you, you're very much becoming their counsellor at the same time as well yeah it's definitely yeah. Um, we call it like neurofeedback counselling because mm. you're, um, it's definitely not just hooking someone up to a computer and putting sensors on them and, <laughs> and walking out of the room um, yeah. like any kind of therapy you know the therapeutic relationship is the most important thing and so mm. when we do neurofeedback it's always in the context of um you know psychotherapy counseling the relationship um yeah I see. yeah and how did you come to this work jackie um so i'd always been really interested in human rights poverty development um after uni i studied speech pathology and then Sorry, after school, I studied speech pathology. And then I worked regionally and rurally for New South Wales Health um, with adults, children, across all different settings, like hospital, community health, nursing home. Um, I spent a bit of time in Kenya and Europe, worked a bit in um, private practice in Sydney as a speech path. Um, also volunteered a bit in casework with people seeking asylum. Um, and then I did a Master of Counselling and Psychotherapy. And what else? Had wanted to be at Starts for a long time. Yeah. Then in terms of getting into neurofeedback, um, there's a four-day intensive course um, and then like ongoing weekly supervision and mentoring. Um, then there's also exams that you can take as well. I see. And how did um, how did it come about that you made that leap? Or well, it seems to me like a leap from speech pathology into counselling. How did that come about? Um, I guess it was seeing that sometimes some you know, like speech and literacy and communication is super super important. But sometimes with the people I work or was working with, it felt like they actually needed something else first, like emotional support, um, that for them there wasn't just this one priority of communication, that there was more involved in that. Mm -hmm. um, I also thought about going into development work, um, but some mm -hmm. various experiences and people I met along the way kind of made me head towards so we were talking earlier a lot about how neurofeedback, um, its basis is in brainwaves and um, the EEG, you know, doing an assessment of 
the brain waves, right, and the electrical activity in the brain. Um, but I was wondering if you could flesh out brain waves a little more for us. What are brain waves? Like, why does our brain make them? Um, why do they vary throughout the day? Yeah. Yeah, so um, you know, we have neurons on it, um, in our brain and they produce like electrical impulses and that's how they communicate. And then patterns of electrical impulses form brain waves. Mm-hmm. Um, brain waves are categorized um, differently kind of according to the frequency. Um, so there are some that are very slow. We produce those mostly when we're asleep. Um, there are some that are you know, a little bit faster and that's when we're maybe transitioning between sleep and awake, um, relaxed, um, kind of drowsy, not really focused on anything, uh, you know, a bit faster when we're um, engaged and alert, focused on something concentrated, a bit faster again when we're, um, you know, might be feeling anxious or excited. Um, so in a well-regulated brain, we can transition um, we have enough flexibility to transition between those states so we can sleep when we want to sleep and, and concentrate when we want to concentrate. Um, we know that, you know, that trauma changes the brain. We know that trauma changes the brain um, in terms of the chemicals, in terms of structures. So some structures um, become uh, increase in volume like the amygdala and some will decrease in volume like the hippocampus. Mm-hmm. Um, trauma also changes the brain electrically. Um, I see. So brain waves yeah okay yeah um so are you aware of any um evaluations either within starts or outside of starts about how effective neurofeedback is with school-aged children who have trauma symptoms oh so um at starts there are a number of studies that have been done um looking at the um effects of neurofeedback Mm -hmm. Um, so there have been some case studies, some controlled um, trials and some in progress, but they have mostly been done with adults. Okay. Um, but they, they do show improvement um, in the symptoms of like post-traumatic stress, mm-hmm. uh, anxiety, depression, and some sometimes other um, positive changes yeah. as well. Um, in terms of children, your feedback is often used in the treatment of ADHD, amongst other things, mm-hmm. um, and it has been given a level, is it level, level one um, best treatment um, rating by the American Academy of mm-hmm. Pediatrics. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess just from what I've seen in working with um, children and, and young people here at Starts, um, we do really see changes in um, in sleep, uh, like nightmares going away, falling asleep better, not waking up through the night. Um, also in being able to feel more calm um, and regulate emotions. Also see changes in attention, in concentration um, and with learning. Yeah. Yeah. The anxiety and worry as well. Yeah. Mm. And you're able to measure those changes within a follow-up EEG as well, as well as just the observations? Yes, yep. So we do a couple of different assessments. We do the EEG, as you mentioned. Um, we also do um, some a parent questionnaire, teacher questionnaire. Um, depending on the age of the child, there are some targeted like symptom um, questionnaires that we do at starts. Um, we also do a TOVA, which stands for Test of Variables of Attention. Um, and it's a, an objective measure of mm-hmm. attention and impulse control. Um, yeah, so we do all of those. Um, okay. 
feedback at, at the 20 session mark and then if we do another 10 or 20 sessions and we we do them again at the end I see yeah so I wonder you've already um, talked a little bit about what the child might experience with um, you know an EEG and with your feedback but I was wondering if you could talk us through the whole process through you know a child walking through the door um, of a of a, a clinic of a room when your feedback is set up and um, what other different sensations they would encounter? What would a session look like and feel like to them? Mm. So before we start, when I first meet them, I will explain a bit about it. They can touch the senses. Um, I'll tell them um, there are some gels that we use as well to clear a spot on the scalp and then to help the um, sensor to stick um, effect effectively. So I let them like touch those mm -hmm. things um for some i might have a visual timetable um of what we're going to do because we don't just do the neurofeedback in a session but other things as well they might be able to um, change or choose some of the other activities um yeah so basically they sit down they get to choose the game or the film um we put the sensors on um I will stop, especially when we first start, I will stop um, every few minutes and ask them how they're feeling. Um, for younger kids, I have like a visual um, kind of a prompt sheet with some different pictures of how they might be feeling like more tired or more energy or do they have a headache? Um, because sometimes they can't always, it, sometimes it's really hard to tell <laughs> um, and it, it's hard to give feedback. Um, I also go off any changes that I can see if they're fidgeting more or fidgeting less or they're able to stay on a topic of conversation a bit longer. Okay. Um, yawning a lot. and Yeah, yeah, really attuned to how they're responding. And so what factors need to be in place for neurofeedback to be effective for a child's treatment? Um, so we need, they, they need to be able to attend sessions mm. regularly. Um, mm. twice a week um, I also need somebody who's able to give me feedback mm -hmm. uh, whether that's a parent or carer or a teacher um, neurofeedback is choosing protocols and the right um, the right uh, frequencies to reward is a little bit like with Goldilocks in that everyone responds a little bit differently and it's a matter of finding just what's right for that person. Um, so sometimes people may get some side effects like um, maybe they take a bit longer to fall asleep that night or maybe they wake a bit more that night or maybe they have a slight headache. Um, those things would last like the day of the training um, or maybe a little bit into the next day. But as long as um, someone's able to give me that feedback, then I can adjust it for the next time. I see. Um, yeah, so twice weekly, like so good mm -hmm. attendance, someone to give feedback. They also need um, some kind of, they need, yeah, I mean, there are some other um, criteria in that if, for example, the family is homeless and they don't have that physical safety or emotional safety and stability, that's probably going to be their priority. Um, yes. You know, so. Yeah, you'd want that addressed first. Yeah. yeah. So there mm. are some factors to consider in terms of whether neurofeedback is going to be the most beneficial thing for them, mm. whether the timing is right. Yeah. And how do your clients get referred to you? Um, so our neurofeedback clients come from the direct service counsellors or other people at starts like school liaison officers. Mm. Um, 
in terms of referring to starts, like anybody can, can you know, people can self-refer to starts or um, teachers yeah. parents can refer kids. Um, then people would be allocated to a direct service counsellor or a school liaison officer. Um, and then they would have a think about whether they whether neurofeedback would be beneficial for mm-hmm. the client. Um, then they would have a chat with a neurofeedback counsellor go through some of the criteria to see if it's a good fit or not. Um, and then when a spot's available, they get allocated to a neurofeedback counsellor. I see, yeah. So if um, educators or school counsellors you know, are listening to this and um, and they think that neurofeedback might be a good fit for a student of theirs, um, they could perhaps flag that when they make the referral to starts in general and then whoever takes up the the client as their counsellor, yeah, could discuss that further with, with you or a member of your team? Yeah, yeah, definitely they could flag, flag that um, when they're making the referral if they like. And, yeah, often it's a matter of timing because there's, um, you know, yeah, I do really tell people that neurofeedback is not like just a magic fix and there's all kinds of other things that go into um, working together with the child and the family and the school. Let's see. Yeah. And what does that transition look like for a child at starts who, who starts with a um, direct services counsellor or a school liaison officer as their counsellor and then they transition into neurofeedback? How does that work? Yeah, transitions can be hard. Endings can be really hard. Mm. Um, we're very conscious of that and conscious of the importance of attachment. And um, so we do that very gradually, um, basically. So um the, so kids um, get enough time to have some closing and ending sessions with the, you know, with the DS counsellor before they're transitioning, you know, just to neurofeedback. Um, I, I also think that it's an opportunity, especially for a lot of our clients who have had, who might not have had goodbyes, um, you know, with with certain relationships and certain attachments or um, goodbyes where it wasn't really their choice. Um, this is, this can be sometimes an opportunity to have, you know, a really planned, predictable um, ending that they've both contributed to and, you know, you've, you've done different activities to, mm-hmm. to prepare for that. Yeah. It's de- definitely a gradual process, yeah. nothing, nothing sudden. Mm. Yeah, I can understand how that would be. Yeah, it could be a new experience for some clients to, to have more control over their, their closures and their goodbyes and how mm-hmm. that could be a positive, yeah. Yeah, and, and so yeah. That, um, that goodbyes are, like, goodbyes are hard for adults as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. And, um, look, I'm aware that you do offer some neurofeedback sessions in some schools, so I'd love to hear a bit more about that, how that came about and how schools can find out more if that's something they'd be open to hosting at their school? Yeah, definitely. So, um, I mean, one of the big factors is that twice a week is a really big commitment. It can be really mm. hard for families. Um, even if you have a car, it's it's a, it's hard twice a week. You've mm. got more children. If you don't have a car, if you've got work and study commitments as well. Um, so we take everything um to the school Mm -hmm. Um, what we need is a quiet um a quiet room 
Um, ideally, it would be the same room every session just to have that predictability um, and, and that feeling of safety. Um, and we just need a desk and two chairs. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so, um, so if you've got clients um, that attend a particular school and, and attendance might be an issue, um, do you approach the school or is that how it's come about in the past? So normally I would ask um, the direct service counsellor or the school mm -hmm. liaison team who their main contact person at the school is. Mm -hmm. I know it's quite a task um, arranging rooms and the schools are really busy and often pushed um, mm. space. Um, so then with the, with the parents' consent, um, I do contact that person at the school and try and work out what their what the room availability is like um what class there might be certain classes that um the student doesn't want to miss or that are, you know that are really important that we if they have for example some extra support at a particular time I don't want to make them miss that yeah um, so we work through those kind yeah. of scheduling Oh, well, it's been so interesting talking to you, Jackie. I've learned so much more about neurofeedback myself, had lots of the questions I've had for years answered. So thank you so much for your generosity. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up? No, I don't think so. Thank you, Nicole. Thanks, Thanks Jackie. So